Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Welcome to the Mick Ultra Golf Show on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT. Presented by Michelob Ultra. Locally distributed by United Beverage of South Bend. Michelob Ultra. Superior light beer. Don't compromise. Also sponsored by Bill's Heating of Goshen since 1951. For all your heating, cooling, and plumbing. Also by Pet Refuge, Leck Leitner Door, Sherwood Tire, the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, your local Edward Jones financial advisors, Edward Jones, making sense of investing, member SIPC, and OSMC, the Orthopedic and Sports Medicine Center. And now, the Mick Ultra Golf Show on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT. We welcome you to the Mick Ultra Golf Show on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett, joined by John Foster. I guess your new title is former general manager at Warren Golf Course at Notre Dame, or do you want something else? No, that's good. Okay. Emeritus or something like that? Isn't that like a prestigious way of saying something was really good? Yeah, that means you're still somehow connected. I don't know if the university (laughs) wants that or not. Uh, No, Emeritus refers to something they bestowed upon you, so... I bestowed upon them retirement. So we'll I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Very good. We've got Tim Firestone, the owner of Blackthorn Golf Club in South Bend, also with us. Tim, how are you? I'm good. How are you today? You sound a little bit better than last time I saw you. I this I is to come out of the the bullpen for you this yeah. week and post the show. This is day four of steroids, so I will fail a lot of tests, but this is the best I've sounded in a week. So. I think we're making progress. I'm happy to report. Well, Can we this... expect some some roid rage from you today, Darren. Are you think pretty? Are you pretty calm? This is as loud as I can talk, so I don't know if I call it rage. <laughs> this is my library voice. I'm using for rage, I guess. <laughs> like like you've been to a library. <laughs> oh, this has been a month long process, so I hope I'm getting toward the end of it. That's for sure. Well, we are not live this morning. We'll say that up front, that we are taping this uh, Friday right around noontime. So, obviously, we don't have the end of the second-round results for the PGA Championship down in South Carolina. But we can talk in generalities about what's been happening so far in this golf tournament. i got to start with this. I know we've seen this golf course before, and Rory blew away the field back in 2012 at this ocean golf course down in South Carolina. But I know the first round, they did not play the golf course to the tips. And, guys, it was still an extremely long golf course. I just want to get your early impressions of what you think about this particular golf course and it once again being a part of a major. Um, well, you know, knowing that the course was built uh, well, about 30 years ago to host the Ryder Cup, built specifically for that, I think, you know, it's one of Pete Dye's better designs. Um, the one factor that I think is going to 
come, come into play more so than any other. You talk about length there, and that doesn't seem to be an issue with <laughs> the modern players. Uh, it's the win. And remember back at the, the Ryder Cup, and I think it was 91, I could be wrong, but how, how much the win factored into those matches coming down the stretch. I mean, it can be absolutely brutal coming off the ocean there. So I think one reason they kind of speculated that maybe DeChambeau might struggle a little bit is how high he hits the ball and therefore and how much he spins the ball so you kind of lose control in the wind so uh, i'd be interested to see what the conditions are like i know the the weather forecast is for really nice conditions in terms of no rain i just don't know what the wind situation is but i know it's usually a factor down there yeah i think um it's a good point john that's really what gives the golf course the bite and the winds are up today there they showed i saw some footage this morning and um the scores are kind of showing. There's a couple of players that are off to a good start today, but uh, a lot of plus numbers, um, including the yesterday's leader who uh, got off to a really rough start. Um, but no, I think it's a great golf course. I think it's a great venue for a major, yeah. quite honestly. Yeah. Uh, it's a cool place. I think the one thing that's a challenge, and I guess I'll put my tournament director, championship director hat on, and some of the things that we you know, had to look for and had to plan for, the senior open is getting to that golf course. It's a two lane road that goes mm -hmm. on for about 12 miles off, you know, out of Charleston. Uh, Melissa and I were there about three weeks ago. We just drove to Kiowa. We have some friends there and we were, we went to the river course. We didn't go to the ocean course, but even that was just a typical Friday and it was a nightmare getting back there. Uh, so I think from that standpoint, uh, it could be, you know, I'm sure they got worked out, but I don't, are they limiting the, the crowds as well there? I don't know. It looks like there's a lot of people there. Yeah. I saw a lot of people along the beach and stuff. So, but the, the property is so big that I can understand why it didn't look necessarily like at times there were many people because it was, uh, it's so spread out, but, but anyway, it's a, it's a beautiful setting there and, uh, I, I've never played the golf course. The last thing I want to do is, you know, go down there and start playing a bunch of hard golf courses. I'm looking for the easy ones at this point in my life. You get to play the senior tees at least, John. Oh, you know what? I guess I can without yeah. being harassed because yeah. That's right. The other thing I'm going to do, by the way, I'm going to buy a golf bag that doesn't have my name on it, mm -hmm. and um, so I can play down there. And the expectations are going to be pretty realistic. John, I think on that golf course, the senior tee's still at 7,500 yards. That's the problem. <laughs> that, that is a problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know, guys, it's an amazing golf course. It, it's suitable to the eye. And I, I thought the way they have set up the golf course the first two rounds has been extremely fair. If they wanted to, guys, three over could be leading right now but i know in the first round i think they moved up the tees like 300 yards which i like that because the wind has been up and there's no use just making it absolutely ridiculous i mean i like par being protected that's why i like the u.s open but this could be just everybody over par if they really wanted to so i give them credit for the setup so far well you know we've talked about this in the past um about the PGA championship. It's the one championship the PGA of America runs. And the last thing they want to do is tick off the tour guys or their members mm -hmm. who happen to be playing. And 
also to embarrass them in any way. Uh, so this this event of all majors is normally the one where course setup is the most fair, as opposed to what the USGA and RNA do with their respective championships. So um, I'm uh, I, yeah, I, I'm like you, Darren. I got to believe the last day, though, it will be the most difficult day in terms of course setup once set up once they get the field winning down, uh, you know, before the cut. It's if you have a really hard setup on the golf course, your times, uh, you know, you, you get backed up, your turn times get screwed up because you're going off two tees. So that's a consideration most people don't think about. When you have 156 people in the field, you want to get them around quickly. And there's a lot of club pros in this that, mm. you know, you don't want a five and a half hour round. Or, so, so anyway, I guess the point is the last day, and especially after they make the cut, I think you'll see the course set up much more difficult. Yeah, it could be an interesting weekend. That's for sure down there. To your point, get the wind going. They get the course lengthened out. Mm -hmm. um, it'll be fun. The uh, Speaking of the PGA pros, um, it looks like the Brad Merrick is uh, tied for 40th. The number, he's the highest mm -hmm. on the leaderboard right now. So mm -hmm. anyway, it's always cool to see those guys play competitively. Like, do, do we, um, Tim, do we have anybody from Indiana in there? I don't think so. Not that I, I saw. Yeah. Well, I know it's, again, we're taping while the second round is going on. But earlier on Friday, kind of amazing considering the length of the golf course and considering his inconsistencies this year. But there was a time Friday morning Phil Mickelson was leading the PGA Championship as we're taping right now. He is even par for the tournament, two over on the day. And as someone that roots for Phil, I, I gave him little chance, honestly, to make the cut this week just because of the length of the golf course and how you have to hit the ball fairly straight. It's not like the rough is awful, but, guys, there's a lot of bad spots to hit drive. So I'm actually pleasantly surprised the old 50-year-old's hanging in there right now. Yeah, I um, he's played some good golf. He had a great round. Was it last week in the first round? Shot sixty two mm -hmm. or sixty three. Yeah. Um, yeah. he's playing well. Um, and then I saw also I don't know if you guys saw last week he did accept the U.S. Uh, GA's invitation. Yeah. Um, yeah. he was kind of on the fence of whether or not to take a spot in that, but I think he's giving it one last run here. I think this year, maybe yeah. next year, and then I think he probably will move on. Um. To the senior tour, I'm guessing. Yeah, I, I, I'm. I think what you might see out of him, uh, Tim, is in the early season out in the desert. He may play some uh, events. Obviously, he's not going to have any trouble getting in any any of them, and he's really comfortable out there. So I think maybe mm -hmm. courses that he knows um, he'll play in. But as far as a full time schedule, I, I don't see it happening. I was really kind of surprised the USGA offered that special exemption they're so stingy with those things but hmm. um I, I think you saw when they i think they offered paula creamer and uh oh who is the other there was another person michelle uh, we wasn't it i, I only was michelle it was um oh. then this uh, christy kerr i believe oh, okay and maybe michelle too um i think maybe it was tim so they didn't used to do any of that stuff i think they realized the value and star power of some of these players that it's in the best interest of the championship to have them in the field as opposed to, you know, what the USDA does. Well, we've never done it before. Let's not set precedent. I think they're finally wising up. And I think it also reflects the change in leadership at the USDA. 
you know, the old uh, blue mm-hmm. coat dandruff blue coats are starting to retire and move on. And they got a bunch of younger people. And, and I know you're familiar, Tim, obviously with Mike Juan. I think he's going to do a great mm-hmm. job as the, as the head of it. He's very innovative and very creative. Yeah. He's a really great guy. Yeah. Tim and John, I don't know if there's rhyme or reason uh, to answer my question, but I'll, I'll give it a, a shot here. Of all the major championships, this is the one that seems to have the most likelihood of a first-time winner, and oftentimes it's the only major that some of these guys will ever win. Uh, Sean McKeel, Rich Beam are just two examples from within the last 20 years. Is it more random in the PGA Championship because, as you guys talked about, uh, that the golf course might be set up more like a PGA tour events and also because the PGA of America is setting up the golf course. You know what, Darren, that's an interesting point you bring up. I've often wondered about it and what, what I think it is. And I, I guess one could say, well, you know, you're going back to a different venue every year. Well, the other three majors do that too. So that doesn't really factor in. But one of the mantras the USGA uses when they set up a course for a championship is they want to identify the best player in the world. Okay. What they're doing at the PGA championship, of course, set up is identifying the best player that week. And I think it's different. I think the USGA, the way they set courses up, the rich beams of the world can't withstand that over a four day period um, because of the difficulty. Whereas if you get fairness, anybody that's hot that week can possibly win. But but the USGA championships, uh, just it, it just isn't inviting to someone who's never won before, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I will say, though, the PGA championship has the, the toughest field in any of the majors. Yes, that is true. Um, so it's a little bit interesting, but I think you mm-hmm. hit it on the head, John. I think it's more of a, you know, a, 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 anybody can get hot for a week type of an yeah. event. And, um, yep. Uh, lot. Yeah, they keep Pop saying, I mean, I remember Tim doing course setup with, with Ben Campbell and talking about whole locations, and I'd say something about, well, that seems to be a little bit difficult or a little bit unfair, and he said, John, we're trying to, you know, we're talking about the best players in the world. We want to identify the best player in the world. So I think maybe that does carry through and actually has some meaning when it comes to course setup versus, and who wins the championship. Speaking of course setup in the USGA, I don't know if you heard any of the stories about the South Bend Country Club local qualifier oh, for the US Open no, on number yeah. ten. Yep. Um <laughs> you know, it's nothing to do with the golf course staff. The USGA sets everything up, right, John? So that's not what well, was done by Tim, it was the Indiana golf office. So oh, you know okay. uh, that explains a lot, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. What happened? <laughs> What happened so, was the USGA ceded that responsibility to the golf association, state golf associations, three or four years ago, Tim, to run all of these qualifiers. And they kind okay. of marginalized the Bob Lees and the Joe Louis of the world, all of these oh. volunteers, USGA committee members that for years did this setup. So mm-hmm. it's it's still a little bit of internal strife going on with that uh, decision, but that was a Mike Davis decision that pushed everything down to the state level. So it's it's hmm. I, yeah i think that explains it. <laughs> but i i yeah. the kids on our team that played out there yeah they they commented on it <laughs> yeah 
So, Darren, what happened is they uh, South Bend Country Club number ten, great par three hole, um, and uh, they put the I think it was back left, um, but it got to the point where it was kind of like remember Olympia. Uh, what's it called in San Francisco, John? Olympia Hills? Olympic, or, uh, Olympic, Olympic Club. Olympic Club. Yeah. yeah. And it would, do you, I don't know if you remember that, Darren. Guys would like hit the putt up to yeah. the hole, and then it would roll all the way back off the green. It was one of those scenarios. Oh, no. There was, yeah. uh, I think there was a, an eight, several uh, triples. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was brutal. I think the scoring average, Tim, was like on the par three, it was 4.7 yeah. or something. Yeah. That's, oh. so it's, <laughs> that's higher think about than this, probably some of the par fives. Well, okay. think about no, this. Baby. Yeah. Um, so you, they start two tees. So um, you start on the 10th tee that morning and oh. you make a seven <laughs> on the par three. How's your day going? Huh? <laughs> I'd, I'd be right back in my uh, car. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which reminds me of a, a story about Tim Firestone down at Otter Creek Golf Club at an Indiana. I think it was the Southern Open, wasn't it, Tim? When I went down I to Caddy. Where... Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. I, went, I went down there. Of course, we drive five hours so I can caddy for Tim and use all of this vast knowledge that I have because I kind of grew up playing Otter Creek. We would go over occasionally and play it. So we're in the very first hole. It's a par five. You've got a creek in front of the uh, – in, in front of the green and is the, the number one. And so Tim tees off number one, hits a decent drive, hits his second shot, not so good. And it's in the rough and he's out about two thirty. No, no, I take it back. Yeah. You were, your drive was really well hit, but it went into, that was, it went into the rough. You're two thirty out. And I simply said, you know, Tim, the risk reward just doesn't make any sense here because you got a really crappy lie in the rough here. Just hit a, like a seven iron up there, and then you got a wedge into the green. Well, <laughs> that advice went unheeded, and Tim pulls out a three wood, <laughs> knocks it in, into the creek, um, makes seven or eight on the hole, and it's like 90 degrees, and we got 17 holes left, and I was so hoping he would say, John, let's just go back to the car and take off. <laughs> But no, we hung in there, and he actually played really well the rest of the day. But there you go. That was my caddy experience with Mr. Firestone. And I'm sure that's not a surprise to anyone how hard-headed I am to not take the caddy's advice. Nobody's ever played with you, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, Tim, I guess the big question is, was John as a caddy more like Bones Mackay <laughs> or Cheech Marin's character in Tin Cup Romeo? <laughs> Definitely the second. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> probably several, maybe a couple packs of smokes, and who knows what he had in his class. Some Pro V ones in the pocket. Oh yeah. God, I think that was pre Pro V one, maybe. It was a yeah. long time ago. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Oh. Got a purchase. That was probably it. <laughs> Mick Ultra Golf Show here on WSBT Radio. John, just going back to working with the USGA for the U.S. Senior Open setup. After going through that process, and I know there's many things they want to accomplish in setting up for a championship like this, but what do you think was the most important thing that they wanted to accomplish in the setup of Warren that week? Their, their theory is, Darren, they want you to use every club in the bag to have the player, you know, it has to have a strong, uh, long game, obviously, uh, strong iron game, short game putting. 
everything, even, you know, even the bunkers and, and things. So they want, they want to be able, as they say, identify the best player in the world uh, over 50. And so what I think uh, when it comes to that, um, it was, it was, I don't know, fair, unfair, they would challenge you. So what they would do like on course setup, and that's where I learned about before the cut, uh, especially in a senior open where their qualifier is an 18 hole qualifier that, you know, John Foster could enter in. Um, and if he, if I get hot that day and there's two spots available, you go directly from that qualifier to the senior open. So they gotta be really careful not to make the carries too great. I know on our 18th hole, which was the third hole of the championship, they had the tees set up uh, in the second tee up front the first two days. The last two days, they took it all the way back to the tollway where you have a 250 force carry. But the point is, it's just there wasn't one particular thing, Darren. They just wanted to make sure that any type of shot the player had, he had to be the very best at it in order to win that week. Which Steve Stricker, he identified that. If you remember, he did everything really well that week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, Tim. As we talk about course setups, uh, I'm going to use one of your holes at Blackthorn as an example. I absolutely love number two at Blackthorn or a number 10 at Riviera that you can drive the green. And if you hit a great shot, heck, you can make eagle. But Mm -hmm. also with the risk reward setup, if you hit a bad shot, I mean, if you slice it to Mm -hmm. the right. On your golf course, you're looking at double. If you pull hook it to the left, you know, that's not a big green. It's not an easy approach, I think, if you go way to the left because it gets a little thin rather than long as you look at it from the tee. So I just love when you have holes at the professional level and even for us hackers that there is risk-reward opportunities. To me, that's a sign of a great golf course, one sign. Yeah, I agree. I think that's awesome. And I think you're seeing it more and more in course setups, especially in the major championships where they're moving tees forward and giving these pros a chance instead of stretching yeah. everything back all the time. Or, you know, at least one one of the rounds, they'll they'll move tees up right. and give guys a chance right. to go at it. Which you know, is we exciting. Were, that's fun. It, no, it is. It's and and you know, we our third hole, which in the championship was uh uh fifteen mm-hmm. that but we were originally going to play that up tee, which was going to be 298. So we actually uh, uh, expanded the fairway on the right-hand side down by the creek, closely mown area, so that if they missed it, the ball would roll down into the creek. Well, the more they thought about it, it was great uh, risk there and great reward. The problem was the layup was so easy that – nobody was going to go for it. They felt they didn't feel like it was tempting. Mm. The difference between the two was tempting enough. They were probably going to make birdie just by playing it safe from two ninety. So they ended up not doing that. Uh, so part of that whole setup, and I agree with you, Tim, uh, everybody tries to work that into their events now, um, at least one day with this short hole. Um, but you got to make sure that even if, if you choose to play safe, there's some element, there's no guaranteed birdie. Mm-hmm. Well, again, we're taping the show as the second round is taking place at the PGA Championship. Brendan Grace, as of right now, is the leader, guys. He's three under on the day, five under for the golf tournament. And, again, you talk about guys who may only have one chance to win a major. 
playing in this PGA Championship. Just the setup is so different than the U.S. Open and, and the other majors. I mean, your top players right now on the leaderboard as we tape this, Brendan Grace, Ricky Wereniski, Kevin Streelman, Keegan Bradley who's played well. Now Victor Hovland and Brooks Kepka are not on the course yet, and they're at minus three. But you even have a guy like Patrick Harrington, who we have not heard from, guys, in a long time. As we tape this, he is one under for the tournament, two under through 11 holes. So you just see a lot of random guys. And I think personally, guys, I, I like this golf tournament. Don't get me wrong, but it's just the least thrilling of the four just because it feels like we're almost playing the memorial sometimes by the people atop the leaderboard. Yeah, I mean, I see your point. I think, you know, um, definitely a little bit of different cast of characters, but I would not be surprised that when we get to Sunday, if it's not a lot more of the familiar names uh, that you'll see on top of the leaderboard. Because yeah. this golf course can come up and bite you. Like I said, I mean, look at, there's a lot of bogeys out there. Um, yeah. If you, you get squirrely. Did yeah. you guys see the highlight of the tournament yesterday, though? This was the best thing of the whole day? No. Daly's playing as a, as a previous champion. You know, he gets an <laughs> exemption. And they let him take a cart. What? Yeah. Yes. And his cart gets stuck. He can't get it out on one of the <laughs> holes. He's like, you know, the sandy path or whatever, and the yeah. tires sink in. So he had to get like five guys from the crowd to come out and push him out of the. <laughs> of course, he, I'm guessing he never once got out of the seat, right? No, he was. Yeah, exactly. That was the funny part. He no. was sitting in it as they were pushing. It's like, get your fat butt out of there and help him out. Oh my goodness! Um, well, now that's the true difference between. The USGA and right. the PGA of America. There's no way. I mean, that's why he withdrew out in uh, yeah. uh, uh, Broadmoor the year before our event because they wouldn't let him have a cart. And so well, he didn't, uh, he withdrew and they ended up suspending him for a year. So that's why he wasn't eligible to play our joint. So, yeah. He actually he led for a brief yeah. time in round one and shot 85. Oh, my goodness. Oh, God. <laughs> Wow. And, and it looks like he's playing today. He's not withdrawn. So we'll see what happens today. We'll take a timeout here on the Mick Ultra Golf Show. I want to get the guys' thoughts on rangefinders for the first time ever being allowed in a, a major championship, let alone a PGA Tour event. We'll get to that coming up next. You're listening to the Mick Ultra Golf Show on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT. Welcome back to the Mick Ultra Golf Show on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett, joined by John Foster, Tim Firestone, the owner of Blackthorn Golf Club in South Bend. We've been talking about the PGA Championship. And, guys, I was really surprised when the announcement was made a while back that rangefinders were going to be allowed for the PGA Championship. Now, these rangefinders that kind of look like little binoculars that help the guys with distance to the location they want to hit the golf ball. It's something we're used to seeing on a foursome playing on Sunday at Blackthorn or, or Warren. It's not something we're used to seeing in a professional golf tournament. I mean, this is a first on the men's side. So what are your guys' thoughts about 
the world's best male golfers playing in a major championship, being allowed to use a rangefinder and helping them decide the distance they have for their next shot. All right. So they use them in college now. The NCAA allows that for college play. Um, you can't – you can measure only distance. Some of these give you the wind speed as well as elevation change and stuff. You can't use those features. I've got two fears, and I it's hard to, for the pros to play any slower, so I doubt it's going to affect pace of play. Um, the, the yardage books they have are so precise um, that – I don't think it gives anybody a competitive advantage. You know, theoretically, it could actually speed up uh, the, the play. My, my fear is, and we, we saw it with, you know, about anything people see on TV, is the average player out there with a rangefinder who, you know, he's 195 yards out, never hit one that far in his life, and he's trying to get his yardage. <laughs> and, he's just, it, you know, it just gums things up. But yet, here's the other thing, and I've seen it before. Somebody's like 25 yards off the green, they'll pull a rangefinder out to check their distance. So it's the misuse of rangefinders I'm I'm concerned about, but it's already pretty uh, prevalent, right, Tim? I mean, you see it all the time. Yeah, I think, and I think you hit it on the head. I don't know that it makes that big of an impact at all. The, the caddies yeah. are so good. Um, you know, the yardage books are incredible. Um I guess maybe the only time is that remember like speak at the British open a couple of years ago and yeah. when he hit it way over to the right, like that would be the only time yeah. I think it could really. Yeah, happen. you're right. You're right. You know, the other thing that uh, in terms of information that you can take with you on the course, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Straka books, Tim, are you familiar with Straka? No. It's, okay. So they will come in, they've mapped our greens. And for instance, before our collegiate event, uh, we send these books out to the other teams it maps out every contour on every green mm. and it gives great detail. And you talk about slowing down play. Uh, oh, these guys can refer to that book. So the USGA bans Straka. You can't use it. And I don't believe that the tour lets you use it either. But what we found was when we did our original yardage book for the, uh, you know, for the golf course, the, we did a different one for the senior open, but one reason we did, is the greens that it shows on, you know, you've got the, the picture of the hole, then you've got a smaller picture of the green. It was larger than the template allowed by the USGA because they felt it gave too much information about contours on the green when actually it didn't. So the USGA is really picky about that stuff, but too much information I think can only slow down play. And I, I don't know. I'm not, a, it's not being old fashioned at all. It's just being practical. Right. Hmm. Well, I guess I'm a little more old school. I just like the old-fashioned way of having to figure it out. You've got a caddy there, and you've got your own IQ. And I understand their livelihood is on the line, and they want to be as accurate as possible. But I think there's just something to the fact of having to count on your fingers and toes and figuring out the yeah. distance. I just think there is – a part of the game that I, I really like the fact they have to kind of scratch and claw to figure out what they need to do. Now, I do get what Tim's saying about the open championship and, and Spieth being on the practice range, basically. But I, I just like the fact that you got to get out a pencil and a piece of paper and, and you got to figure it out. So I guess I'm a little more on the old school side. 
I think it comes down to whether you feel part of the game is, and I, I don't disagree with that, Darren. Part of golf, part of the skill <clears throat> is, and the USGA feels this about walking versus riding. They feel the physical aspect sure. of you know endurance or whatever is is a big part of the makeup of a championship golfer, but also the ability to calculate your distances and know your distances and stuff. So I think that's why you're going to see them probably not roll over in the near future to it. So there's something to be said for that. But my biggest opposition, uh, if, if I do have it, is not so much for the, them to use it, but for people emulating what the pros do. We've all witnessed that uh, when it really is not going to help them. Have you found, John, at all in watching college golf, does it speed up? The pace of play, do you notice any difference? Now, they don't have caddies, of course, to right. help calculate. So that makes sense to me. I, I'm totally it, fine I, with I that. Think it, Darren, I think it does because um, obviously they're really – this sounds really rudimentary, but operating a rangefinder, if, if you're not practiced at this thing, you can pick up a tree that's 25 yards behind the green and all of a sudden your yardage is at 160, you think it's 185. Um, these guys in college, it takes literally two seconds for them to check yardage. The thing that slows down pace of play in college was a rule change they put in about five years ago where the coaches can actually go up on the greens with the players and help them read putts. Can you imagine? It's a nightmare, an absolute nightmare. And the assistants can do it too. So you got two coaches per team that at any one time could be up on the green helping players. It's uh, it's not good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And every meeting, every coach's meeting before every tournament I've ever conducted on a collegiate level, all the coaches are saying, we got to do something about pace of play. So they're just, they're, you know, crying about it. So the very first, you know, say it's the first round, we got a group that's out of position. I go out and talk to them. The coaches get on me and say, leave my players alone. You're bothering them when they're actually 20 minutes behind after four holes. So they preach a good game, but none of them really, uh, help their own cause, I guess. So that's the biggest issue with pace of play in college golf there. Okay. So, so Tim, let me ask this. Considering the golf course that the PGA Championship is being held on, there is a lot of things to look at on every shot. Do you think that it actually makes sense to have range finders on some courses compared to others like Augusta National, I wouldn't think you could really have to have a range finder. It's pretty much cut and dry, and you play it every year. But a course like this, there are so many twists and turns and bunkers in the wind. Does it actually make more sense to have range finders legal in an event like this? Um, I don't know, but again, I'm still going to go back to my original answer. I don't think it really matters. The caddies are so good, no yeah. matter what golf course they go to, there's going to be a professional yardage book done. And this is what these guys do for a living. They study these yeah. yardages. They yeah. study the slopes. They uh, take everything in position, kind of grass that you're in, where, you know, what time of day you're playing in, all yeah. those things uh, these guys study. And, and they're professionals at it. And yeah. A lot of them get paid a lot of money to do it, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of my take on it, Darren. I think, um, you know, again, I think the PGA here uh, probably making a statement about a being a leader in the, of the game, trying to be more tech savvy maybe, and 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 making it uh, 
you know, making it okay, you know, for all your weekend warriors that are using the yardage finders. To me, it seems more of a statement about that than it does about pace of play or any other factor. Yeah. You know, Darren, the other thing that is that, that really could help, I guess, uh, your game and pace of play, it's not only identifying how far you are from the hole, it's identifying bunkers and other obstacles uh, ahead of you. How far do I have to carry that bunker or this bunker? I think could be helpful on a course with which you're unfamiliar. Uh, so it's not only just, you know, shooting the pen and knowing what your yardage to the hole is. What about in golf shops at Warren and at Blackthorne? Do you guys sell range finders? And whether you do or not, for people that don't know anything about it, that might want to look into it. Is there a name brand that stands out above the rest, or are there a couple of brands they should look at? Well, we, Bushnell yeah, is the leader. You, by yeah, far. I was going to say, yep, by far, Tim. Yeah, the, the same people that do it. Um, for, they use these for hunting as well. Uh, but yeah, yeah we, we carry Bushnell, and more importantly, we carry the batteries in the shop. Because you can't imagine the number of people that come in mid-round and want to know if they have a battery for the rangefinder. They're not inexpensive either. The Bushnells are not. Sam, is, is that what you sell at Blackthorn? Yeah, Bushnell. Um, it's 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 the premium brand. I mean, you yeah. see things on Golf Channel or whatever that pop up for you know twenty nine or thirty nine, and you're yeah. you're getting what you pay for. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I would say, John, correct me. They probably have 80% of the market share in range finder business. I, I, would, I would guess, Tim, yeah, especially among serious golfers. And well, I'm, I'm trying to think what the price point is. I think it's in the 275 to $300 range. Isn't that right, Tim? Yeah, they're expensive. Yeah. But golfers now, I mean, look, the new uh, TaylorMade driver, I don't know what Titleist's uh, MSRP is, but the new TaylorMade drivers, the Sim 2, is uh, $459. Oh, yeah, no, it's not I mean, untypical to be around five hundred bucks. So, or I mean, not five forty nine. Sorry, not four forty nine. Yeah, I was gonna say, I, yeah, it's, yeah, it's. I mean, yeah. it's insane for one one club. <laughs> so, golfers yep. uh, are not afraid to invest in their game, Darren. Anything they can do. Yeah. Um, uh, that is to get an advantage to help them. I just hope the people that spend $550 on a driver take the time to be properly fitted. Don't just buy one off the shelf and start playing it. You're wasting 550 bucks. Yep. <laughs> Make sure yep. you get it fit for your game. No doubt about it. All right, guys, let's take a brief time out. We'll continue on with the Mick Ultra Golf Show on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT, WSBTradio.com, and our WSBT radio app. Along with John Foster and Tim Firestone, I'm Darren Pritchett. The Mick Ultra Golf Show continues on WSBT Radio. A couple of weeks ago, John and I spoke with Notre Dame golf coach John Handrigan, the Irish qualified for the NCAA Regional in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and I believe the top five teams move on from that regional. And, John, it sounds like the Irish put together a, a pretty good third round. They tried to get into the top five, came up short, but it sounds like as the tournament went on, they got a little better. Yeah, yeah I, I spoke with <clears throat> pardon me, Coach Handrigan yesterday about this, and um, John's making no excuses. He never does. 
for, for his kids. He said, uh, there was so much course knowledge involved in that golf course. None of the kids had ever played it. John and, and, and Scott Gump had not seen the golf course before. Hmm. As I think a lot of our listeners know, it's a Oklahoma state's home golf course. It's not on campus. Um, they really prefer nobody else play it, although it's open hmm. to the public. So it's like $150 to play. And it, and Mike Holder, the AD, Mike used to be the golf coach there, the uh, soon-to-retire athletic director, uh, was speaking to John. And, and John was asking questions about the course and the operation of the course to you know, kind of do some benchmarking for uh, the university here. And so uh, it's 150 bucks, and Mike said, we keep it so difficult, nobody will want to play it anyway except the golf teams. So it was a gift from Karsten Solheim, uh, the originator, the, the founder of Ping, I think it was about 20 years ago, and T. Boone Pickens also uh, has thrown money at that program. So that being said, John said it was set up so difficult that right off of the fairways was knee higher up, basically. I mean, it was fescue. You might as well tee it up if your ball was not on the fairway. Uh, And so as a result, there was blind shots, too. He said it was so intimidating. He said, my kids only had one practice round. I think it was due to weather. And he said that they were so it, it just so destroyed your ego coming out of the gate that by the third round going into it, they were 16 shots out of the fifth place. And yet they got it down to one shot with two holes to go. And then they, the wheels fell off again. So the, if you look at the rounds, each round, they got better. They got more confident. But he said it's, again, not making excuses, but he's, Oklahoma State won by like 28 strokes or something over the over Illinois. He was in second. I mean, it's insane how much home course advantage in that particular case, uh, you know, worked for them. So anyway, it was it was a great season for them. They're only losing one player, Davis Chatfield, who's a really good player. But they've got everybody coming back, and they've also got a couple of really good recruits. So John's really optimistic about the future. It's just too bad he ran it. I, I was so hoping they would get assigned to Sagamore down in Indianapolis uh to that regional i think they would have been a totally different story well what's interesting is illinois had the lead after the first round and still ended up almost 30 shots out of the lead it was crazy absolutely crazy Hmm. interesting so yeah is that is that is a regional something that notre dame can host do you have to bid on it do you have to be one of the top seeds how does that work john well we we've hosted two men's regionals one women's yeah you bid on it um, the, the, the problem that we've all, I mean, we've hosted two and we think it helps the team. And prior to me leaving, we were planning on putting in a bid for, I think it was a men's regional and possibly a women's regional down the road. Um, it takes a lot. I mean, it's always this time of year. It's a, it's a revenue hit that you, the NCAA reimburses you just peanuts. I mean, you end up netting a loss of about a hundred thousand bucks by, by hosting yet, for the good of the golf team, you know, we're, we're a golf facility for the university, an athletic facility. We would do it. The, we also wanted to do a finals, but what they've gone to with the finals now is that you have to give a three-year commitment, three in a row, and you do the women's and men's at the same side over a three-week period. So you're just yeah. basically seeding your whole golf course to, to the NCAA. So we'll probably never do a final, but there could be a regional in the, in the future of Warren especially if John's at the helm and he wants a men's hmm. Interesting. Well, I'm glad they had a great golf season, and, and John has really turned around this program and absolutely 
no time. And, hey, it's not easy being a powerhouse school in golf in the northern part of the country. I, I mean, it's remarkable. I know following that regional, Illinois made the, the NCAA finals now 13 straight years, which is almost unthinkable. But from what I understand, their practice range in Champaign is like Augusta National. That's how much they've invested yeah. in the golf program. And you really have to do that. And, you know, with the indoor facility Notre Dame has now, John at least gives them a fighting chance. Oh, no, we're – I mean, we John's got all the tools he needs right now. I mean, they do travel south about every every weekend. They're not playing in an event in the wintertime. Uh, so they have the opportunity now much more so than in the past. But, um, yeah, it's just – you know, it, it is what it is. I mean – we, we get really close and every year we get closer and closer. So it's only a matter of time before they break through. Um, Cause I think Minnesota proved it years ago, Illinois proven it. Now there's no reason you can't be really relevant in, in the NCAA golf picture. Uh, if you're North of the Mason Dixon, I don't think it matters as much anymore. We'll wrap up the golf show after this. This is the Mick ultra golf show on sports radio, 96, one WSBT. Tim Firestone, what's coming up at Blackthorn? We are open for play. Course is in great shape. Uh, we do have a few spots left in our junior golf uh, camps for this summer. Go to blackthorngolf.com or 232-4653 for more information. Guys, enjoyed it as always. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Darren. Thanks, Darren. This has been the Mick Ultra Golf Show on WSBT. Thanks for listening. This has been the Mick Ultra Golf Show, presented by Michelob Ultra, locally distributed by United Beverage of South Bend. Michelob Ultra, superior light beer. Don't compromise. Also sponsored by Bill's Heating of Goshen since 1951. For all your heating, cooling, and plumbing. Also by Pet Refuge, Lechleitner Door, Sherwood Tire, the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, your local Edward Jones financial advisors. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC and OSMC, the Orthopedic and Sports Medicine Center. This has been the Mick Ultra Golf Show, heard every Saturday morning at 8 on Sports Radio 961 WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 